Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to show us the truth so that we would see it and remain in it and abide in it and be your disciples always. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before I dive into the, the explanation of the text, I do want to say something directly honoring fathers, because it is Father's Day, and, and, all, and this text will speak to fatherhood, but it's going to speak you know, universally to God, the Heavenly Father, and I, and I do want to say a few things um, honoring our earthly fathers today, and, and the Bible says, honor your father and your mother, and this is because God established fatherhood, and it is sacred, and the, it's self-evident, but in this current age, we have to say it clearly anyway. <laughs> Everything you are came from your parents, right? Every part of you came from your parents. Everything you are is from them. And uh, mothers and fathers' roles in bringing you into the world are different. Only women can be mothers. Only men can be fathers. That's why we, we honor mothers on Mother's Day. We honor, honor fathers on Father's Day. And we honor fathers for giving us life, and we honor fathers for raising us. And it's important to also acknowledge the, the reality that sometimes that man who raised us is, is not our biological father. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes it might be a stepfather, an adopted father, uh, might be someone who mentored you because no one else was stepping in to fill the gap. And so we also honor all those who acted as fathers in our lives. And fatherhood is it's a sacred calling. It is a good, sacred calling. The creation of a, of a new life, a new person, is, that is a holy wonder. I mean, you could do lots of beautiful, complex things with your life. You could write a symphony. You could build a stadium. You could write code for artificial intelligence, and none of that is as complex or beautiful or valuable as a new person. But with that wonder also comes great responsibility, a great privilege, a privilege to have that responsibility to raise that new life, to be active in shaping them, equipping them, so that when you release them from your home, they, they fly straight and true. So to all the fathers in the room, we honor you. And I, also, I have the great privilege today. My dad is here with me today, so I get to personally say thank you, Dad. It is a blessing to be your son. And uh, this feels a little weird because usually when I have you here on a Father's Day, you're baptizing one of my children. So I feel like I dropped, I dropped the ball this year or something. <laughs> um, but thank you, Dad. So, um, now, to all the men in the room who, will, who may someday be a father, it's important to talk to you too. Know that you are a complete and whole man, whether you marry and have children someday or not. In God, you are a complete and whole man as you are. But also know that if you are given the opportunity to marry and to have children, that is a noble calling. 
It's a noble calling to fulfill in your life. And it's one of the greatest things you could do in your life. And fatherhood will challenge you beyond all your abilities and force you to turn to God for help. And it will also bless you beyond all understanding. And so you just turn to God in overwhelming gratitude that you should be so blessed to be a dad. So that's what I want to say there about fatherhood in general. Um, and there's some interesting things about fathers. Last, last Saturday was the funeral service for Punky Besser. And while, while I was about out and about in here preparing, her son-in-law was at the door greeting people. He, he kind of took it upon himself to be the greeter, welcome people in. And, and my wife and children, came, he held the door and let them in. And he sees them. He's never met my family before, just me. And he sees them and he, he looks at my first child. I know whose dad you are, or who's, who's your dad, and I know who's your dad, and I know who's your dad. Uh, children are usually <laughs> very much like their father. And, and this is really one of the, the core truths of, of our text in John 8 today. Jesus takes this truth that children are like their father, and, and, it's, and it's an objective truth. You, you, everything you are came from your parents, so you will be like them. And so Jesus applies this truth, that children are like their father. And he applies it to every person to consider whether God is your heavenly father or not. So let's look at here at our text starting John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So we're coming in kind of in the middle of a big public teaching session. Jesus is in Jerusalem in the temple grounds. He's been teaching for quite a while here. And that says just before this, and many came to believe in him. In the middle of this teaching session, many have a change of heart and they come to believe in him because they hear the word of God in Jesus spoken by him. So he says to them, to all who, who had believed in him before and who have just come to believe in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And to abide, at, or so it can also be translated remain. And so it means to, you know, this, this is the word of God. This is the truth spoken by God's special servant, his special messenger, the Christ. And you, knowing that that is true, then you choose to, to remain in it, to abide in it, to stay in this. You're the, you are so convinced that this is truth from God, you're not going to be moved away from it but you're continuing to grow in it and feed on it and turn to look to God. So if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So remaining in the word is the essence of a true disciple. And so rem remaining in the word for them, that, that's, he, notice he says, you are truly my disciples. Not you will be, you are, you already are. So remaining in his word in the future, that, that is just evidence of what you already are, what he already did in your life. He made you his true disciple and your remaining in the word is, is fruit, it's evidence of your relationship with him. And also notice, notice the, the word is Jesus' word. The word, the word, <laughs> It brings us to Jesus, and it brings Jesus to us. And if, if we're convinced this, this is truth from God, then we're also convinced that the one who spoke it is himself true. 
You, you can't have one without the other. The word is the truth, and Jesus, who spoke it, is God's true messenger. He is true. Now, verse 32. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so know here, very connected to abiding, to know means to, uh, through per personal experiential contact, you know. So it's not just, hey, I just read this somewhere. I read this fact about these things that I've never seen and never experienced before. You know, like I, I could read about some wild animal in Africa, and I could tell you maybe all sorts of facts about it, about wildebeests. But if... But I don't have first-hand knowledge of wildebeests. I've never been there. I've never, you know, been up close and lived with them to tell you what they're like. Um, and here he's saying, no, you will know the truth. You will, the kind of knowing where you have, you've felt it, touched it, heard it, seen it, you've come into contact with it. And that contact is through the word of Jesus. So when you hear and see the word of Jesus and it comes in contact with your mind and heart, you no, you know this is God's truth. And when you realize, when you recognize it is the truth, you know it, it sets you free. Now we don't, you know, download every word of the Bible all at once in the first contact, right? <laughs> we, we learn from it, we grow in it, we, 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 it's applied to us a bit at a time. But when, we, when a word of truth is applied to your life and you know, oh no, this is the way the world works, you see it truly, you see yourself rightly and God rightly, then when the, God's word shines in that area of your life, it sets you free in that area of your life. And as you grow more and more and you remain and abide in his word, then more and more of your life is set free. You're, you're set free in the big picture, by set free from sin universally by being a a disciple of Jesus, but this starts to work itself out in individual areas of your life as you apply and you come to know that that truth. And, and I've seen this so many ways in my life where, hey, my strength of will did not change me. <laughs> I tried to grit my teeth and I'm, I'm going to change. And, and I found that my efforts and my will just were not enough to change that area of my life that I was disappointed in or whatever. But when God's words spoke it to me and i and i and maybe i've heard it a hundred times but then one day god's spirit breaks it through so that i see it and recognize oh that's what this word means for me in my life and then the truth i i can't go on as i did before because now i know i know the truth and so the truth changes your your mind your heart your attitude your actions and the way you live so you know the truth and the truth will set you free Free, most of all, from the deceptions that blind our hearts and lock us up in sin. Verse 33. They answered him. So this, is, this is not the believing Jews. This is the disgruntled Pharisees. They answered him. We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free. And um, no, the Pharisees knew their own history very well. So they, they are not talking about slaves to, they're not talking about literal slaves. They knew, they understood perfectly well what Jesus was talking about. They knew Jesus meant spiritual slavery to sin 
and to pagan idols and all these forms of idolatry and sin. And they, they knew exactly what Jesus was talking about because they were, the whole nation was under the Roman Empire. So they knew, they weren't claiming, hey, we've never been slaves, you know, as they're a conquered nation ruled by the Roman Empire. They weren't claiming that. They were saying, no, we've never been, we've never been spiritual slaves. We are, we're sons of Abraham. We're, we're the true faith. We stick to the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We, you know, so the, the, the response here is, is outrage. The response here is outrage. They're, they're outraged that Jesus would suggest that they need to be set free from something, and most, worst of all, spiritual slavery. How dare you, Jesus? How dare you suggest that we need to be set free? And this is such a, a response straight out of our old sinful human nature, because that sinful human nature, it rejects correction. It, it, you know, and, and every parent has seen this, right? You, you try to correct your child, and they will come up with every excuse in the book. You know, hey, don't kick your sister in the face. Oh, I was just trying to wipe the dirt off her face with my toe. You know? <laughs> but adults, you know, people of every age do this too. They come up with an excuse or, or, or an interpretation, the most positive interpretation of their actions possible. To say, well, you know, I didn't see that. Well, I didn't realize I was going this fast. Or, well, that, it's not what it looks like, you know. Or, you know, well, that, that rule doesn't apply to me. And on and on. Hum, sinful, our old sinful human nature, it does not want to be corrected. Now, if you offer the sinful human nature improvement, well, that has no problem with that. You know, offer me a couple steps to, to, to get even better than the already awesome person I already am. <laughs> well, yes, the old sinful nature likes that. Yeah, how to, how to get even better than I already am? Sure, the old sinful nature welcomes that. But if you suggest to the old sinful nature that, that it is wrong, that it needs to be corrected, well, then the, our sinful nature rejects that. It doesn't want it. And you gotta point out here, I mean, in, in this context, okay, if you get outraged, and resentful about good news, then the problem is probably with you and your heart. Because the Pharisees here, I mean, Jesus is offering freedom. He's, he's declaring good news. And they get outraged and resentful about that? Yeah, the, the problem is with them. And, and I wanna bring this around here to Father's Day and, and, and fathers a little bit here. Because fathers, what do, what do good fathers do? Well, they, they instruct their children in right and wrong. They take the time to show them, to demonstrate to them right from wrong. But they, they also intervene and protect when needed. And uh, you might be familiar with, with the story from June 5th of the, the high-speed chase in Minneapolis of a stolen car filled with six juveniles that that smashed through a bus stop and injured seven people. And the, uh, five of the youth in there were, were somewhere between 14 and 17, but the driver of the stolen vehicle was 12. He was 12. And um, now I, I think six out of those seven injured people were the six youth in the, as I, as I read the article, I, I, six out of those seven injured people were the six youth in the stolen car. And I think there was one person at the, 
bus stop who got injured when they smashed into it. Um, and they were being pursued for, it was a high-speed chase because the, the violent offenders task force was involved because of their previous violent activity already. Um, and, it, you know, you got to wonder, where are these youth's parents? Where were their dads? Who Did no one ever teach them right from wrong? Did no one ever teach them wise versus foolish? Did, ever, no, did no one ever, you know, show them, spell out for them, hey, if you play stupid games, you will win stupid prizes. Then we got, you got to wonder. Because some things are always wrong. And we, we need fathers in our lives to make that clear. Or we, in, in our human nature, we will always come up with an excuse for, for us to do wrong, but call it right. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And this, this truth is, is pretty much self-evident. It doesn't need a whole lot of explanation. Jesus, that's why Jesus uses it. He's saying to you, hey, when, if you practice sin, if you keep on doing it, you, you bring that sin home and you make it your friend, make it part of your life, you dress it up to look good. You, you justify it. You keep obeying it and calling it something other than it is. Never owning up to it. Then, then, that, then that sin owns you. You're doing what that sin wants you to do. So there, if there's a sinful, selfish desire that's causing you to do sinful things, then that sin owns you. You are the slave of that sin. And what's tragically ironic in our the world around us today and maybe even among us i don't know but i don't see every heart <laughs> except my own <laughs> but i but i gotta go with what people say around us in the world around us today they they defend their own sin by asserting their own autonomy well i'm in charge of me i'll choose what i do you can't tell me what to do now this is how so much of the world around is defending their own sin. But the more you refuse to give up your sins, the more you demonstrate that you are the slave of that sin. Verse 35. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. This is also an axiom, but it's an ancient one that may seem kind of foreign to our modern world. But in the ancient world, slaves could be bought and slaves could just as easily be sold again, which meant that a slave in a household didn't, had no guaranteed place there. You know, the child remains part of the house forever. The slave has no guaranteed place. They can be bought and sold and rotated and moved on. And if you've not been born again of God, if he is not truly your spiritual father, then you're not his child. And if you're trying to earn your place in God's household, in God's, God's family, by, by good works, by service, by regular attendance, but your heart is not truly with him, then you are a hypocrite. 
You are trying to dress the part of a member of the family without actually being one in your heart. And you are no different than the slave. You have no guaranteed place in the family of God. And if you think sin will give you a guaranteed spot in their family, you are also mistaken. Evil discards its slaves when they are of no more use to them. And, and I'm going to take a quick hands-up poll here. How many of you are familiar with Star Wars? Just, just, just real quick here, okay. Kind of, sort of, okay. So I won't go too far into this because I didn't have to explain it a bunch. But, but the bad guys in Star Wars are the Sith Lords. There's always one mastermind and he has apprentices and the apprentices are always in on the plans and the schemes but he always disposes of them they always think they're the successor they're that they're gonna you know when he's done they'll take over from him that they're gonna have all this power and 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 change the whole world and they and he keeps betraying them and sacrificing them he uses them and then destroys them and replaces them with a new and more powerful servant. And, and I feel like, as I was thinking through that, like, that's such an illustration of how sin and evil treats, human, treats humanity, how the devil and his forces treat humanity. People think, oh, this is where I'm going to find identity. This is where I'm going to belong, where I'm accepted. But the devil and the devil, what? Yeah, he got big welcome arms. Hey, welcome in here. I'm going to eat you up and spit you out, destroy you and replace you. But he's, he's very welcoming at first. And a lot of people today are making a huge mistake. They are, they're joining various anti-God movements and thinking that's, well, that's where they'll find identity or that's where they'll find acceptance. And they will learn too late that these movements are not really for them. They're about using them for their own power. And when they're done with them, they're going to dispose. They'll destroy them and replace them. A slave of sin has no guaranteed spot anywhere. But a son remains forever. And that's the, the good news Jesus declares here. A son remains forever. A son or daughter can never lose their spot. And we know this, this is reality in, in our own human families, which are, are a reflection of a higher more universal reality of God. And then, you know, sometimes our, our social relationships in our families, sometimes they sour. Sometimes that we have issues with each other. But that never changes the objective reality that your father is your father and your mother is your mother and you are from them and they are part of you and you're part of them. You can't, nothing is going to change that. That is objective. And Jesus is saying the son in the family of God remains forever. Verse 36. So if the, the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, most of our translations will have, a, have an emphasis in bold here. The son. Because Jesus changes the emphasis here. Talking about one son. And of course he's referring to himself, Jesus, the son of God who is the, the true son, the truest son that defines for everybody else, for all humanity, what a son is. Because Jesus is fully of the truth just as God is the truth. And Jesus says, I am the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is the son. Now, so if he sets you free, 
then you will be free indeed. A free person you will be. So what Jesus, is, what he does, is not just a change of condition. He doesn't just open the prison cell and take you outside. That would just be a change of condition. Jesus changes your inside condition, your nature. And uh, my wife and I like to watch the show Blue Bloods. It's a cop show about a family of Catholic police officers in New York. And uh, there's this one episode where a prior mayor, he keeps bailing his daughter out of trouble. She thinks she can do anything because my dad's the mayor. And she keeps doing wild and stupid things because she thinks she's untouchable. And, and finally later in the episode, they, the dad realizes if he always keeps her away from the consequences, then she'll never really be free because she'll never change. And, and he realizes what she needs to be free from is not consequences. What she needs to be free from is her own nature, her own character, her own attitude. Because if that doesn't change, she's going to be always getting in trouble until the consequences cannot be avoided. And then the consequences will be more than, than she can bear. And so he, he lets her feel the case. He steps in and says, no, I'm not protecting you from these consequences. You're going you're gonna to face them and feel them. Um, which is quite shocking to her. But he knew if, if her character didn't change, she would never truly be free. And this is like what Jesus does for us spiritually. He sets you free from sin. He changes your nature, your character, your moral character inside. He makes you a child of God. But he's not like the mayor. He doesn't do this by letting you face the consequences of your sin. He actually he affects this change by taking the consequences for your sin upon himself. He takes the consequences. And he offers you himself. He sets you free from the sin in your heart. And he places his own nature, the nature of the true son of God, in you. So that you become a child of God. He changes the nature of your heart. And this is good news for all of us in every setting, no matter what we find ourselves in, whatever sin we find in our hearts. And one of the sad realities is that there are fathers today that are, are not good fathers. There are fathers who are terrible. Some are just bad examples. Some are literal monsters. And we need to acknowledge that. And this is especially hard for the children who grow up under that because they see characteristics and traits in themselves like their father. And they might feel, even if they disagree with the sins and vices and flaws they saw in the, those fathers, they might feel like they can't escape that fate themselves. Like they're going to be just that way. Like, like they're fated because their father was, and they can't escape it. And so they fall into the same patterns of, of alcohol or abuse, whether that's physical or verbal or other patterns. But Jesus declares that is not your fate. When the Son sets you free, you shall be free people in reality. All people. Free from the slavery of sin. Free from that old nature that wants its own way and refuses to be corrected. 
and free from the lies that blind your heart. Now this is, this is the good news Jesus was declared right at the very beginning. You know, if you, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So as we see, either you're like your Heavenly Father or you're not. If you're not like God the Father, then, then that means your heart, your moral character has a different father, the father of lies. And, and that's what 39 through 47 explain in detail. I'm not going to read all that here now for, for time. Um, but it, that one is, is also very plain. Jesus stops implying and he just calls them out directly. So it's perfectly clear. If you're not like the God of truth, then you are like the lies. And the devil is the father of lies. But the one who changes all this is Jesus and his word that breaks our hard hearts, that shows us our true selves, but also changes us by his grace. Thanks be to God. For God, our heavenly father, who sends us the true son so that we may be his true disciples. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word to us that shows us our true selves so that we may see you rightly and see ourselves rightly and turn to Jesus to save us from ourselves and to change us within, to make us new. Pray for every person here that we would remain and abide in your word. We would be truly your disciples, that we would know you, know the truth, and that we'd be set free in our lives. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.